Welcome back to Hill Country Institute Live, Exploring Christ and Culture, the program that brings Christian leaders together with you to talk about key issues of interest to the body of Christ. If you're just now joining us, this is a special program in partnership with the Prayer Ministry of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio on how we pray for those in service in the military and their families. Our guests today are Rick Lane, Chair of the Prayer Ministry at First Presbyterian Church and a ministry partner in Walk with Mexico in partnership with Hill Country Institute. Reverend Dr. Steve Walsh, who is a former combat officer, military chaplain, and is now a pastor at First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, is also our guest. And Steve has a lot of detailed ideas and experience to offer, a lot of good stories. Um, He's a great storyteller. So welcome, Rick and Pastor Steve Walsh. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, in the first half of the program, we introduced you to the audience. We, we learned a lot about your career, and we really got up to a point where we talked about you coming to know Jesus, becoming a, a, a military chaplain. Uh, could you kind of walk us through that a little bit? I sure can. At that point, I had heard the voice of the Lord, uh, but I didn't know really any Christians. Uh, as a businessman, all of my friends were businessmen, and for the most part, they were not Christians. So I really didn't know what to do. Um, I was a member of the Rotary Club at the time, and uh, there was a retired pastor emeritus by the name of Reverend Dr. Glenn Pewter, great saint, great saint. And I told Glenn, I said, I had done this, the very story that I just related to you, and I said, I think I think that I heard the voice of, the, of God, of, of the Lord. I didn't even know how to phrase it. And well, he listened to the story, and he said, you know, I think you have too. He says, let's get together. So we did. And Glenn was a really laid back, just a brilliant, brilliant man. And he just knew how to take me under his wing. He goes, well, you know, why don't you come down to First Presbyterian Church there in Bakersfield, California, and you meet Dorothy and I, his wife Dorothy. And well, you know, you, you, we'll meet you for church on Sunday. I hadn't been to church since, you know, I was like 10 years old or something. So I meet him there, and I go in, and of course I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's going to be snakes, and there's going to be people yelling, (laughs) and you know, because what did I know about uh, the Protestant world? And I go in there, and this is like, wow, there's nothing weird about this. You know, people aren't doing anything wacko, and they're not running around up and down the aisles, and they're not... And I'm thinking, this is a good thing. So he says, well, you know, Steve, he says, uh, church is sort of like uh, wearing a sport coat. You know, you try it on for a while, see if it fits. If it doesn't, we'll get you hooked up with another congregation. So I keep going, and I keep going, and I just start going. And then about six months later, I'm out working out. I'm at a old Jack LaLanne's, long before Gold's Gym, Jack LaLanne's Club. And I'm working out, and I'm listening to the old iTunes, or whatever they were at the time, a Sony Walkman or something. Yeah, yeah, a little tape recorder thing, you know. And uh, I'm listening to Christian music, and I'm fired up. I'm listening to radio stations like this that were local. And uh, I hear this song about Soldier of the Lord. It was a popular tune at the time. And I'm kind of singing along to it, and all of a sudden I'm hearing the voices of the Lord again, and he's saying, Steve, I want you to be a soldier for the Lord. Wow. And right then I knew 
that he'd created me to be an Army chaplain. So now I'm like 34 years old. The Army chaplaincy was only taking you to 35 at that time. I send off a letter, which I still have the reply to this day, to the chief of chaplains at the Pentagon in Washington, and they send it back, and they say, I'm sorry, you're too old. By the time you complete seminary, you'll be like 38. Even if you started today, you're too old. Well, I knew the Lord had called me, and I signed up for seminary, Fuller Seminary, out there in Pasadena, California. And I used to drive from Bakersfield to Fuller about three times a week, but thankfully I was the owner of the company, so I could come and go as I wanted. (laughs) The Lord always has a plan. A provision. Yes. Trouble is, sometimes we feel like we miss the briefing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he always has a plan. And so I go through seminary. And I graduate, and I've come under care of the Presbyterian Church at the time, and they were, you know, putting me through this and that. And during that time, because I was a little older than the other seminarians, Glenn asked the church if I could, instead of being an intern at the church, we both knew the chief of the local fire department, the city fire department. He was a good Christian man, Dennis Needham. And Dennis had said to Glenn, you know, we could use a chaplain. We've never had a chaplain. So Glenn says, Steve, what what do you think? And I go, Ben, I am your boy. So while I'm going to seminary, I'm volunteer chaplain with the city department, and that's where the Lord began to teach me about crisis ministry. Mm -hmm. It is the perfect deacon position. For the most part, there's no preaching. There's no teaching. There is crashes suicides, car wrecks, accidents, every kind of misery on the face of the planet, and you are a deacon there to just care for people and to firefighters. And some other time, I could go for two hours on what heroes your firefighters are in all of our communities. Absolute heroes. Yes, and if, any, if anyone's listening and, and interested, uh, Sheriff uh, Pomelo of uh, Bayer County uh, has been interviewed in one of our podcasts, and you can go to hillcountryinstitute.org and hear about prayer for first responders and the challenges of that particular line of work. And it's and it, it's another group that we owe a great deal to and that we want to be in prayer for. Oh, yeah, great, 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 great saints, each and every one of them. So you so you so you're going to seminary and you're and how did the Lord provide for you to actually become a military chaplain? Good question. And what happens is I'm uh, somewhere along the line here. I get this package in the mail, you know, a brown manila envelope this big, government stamp. I don't look at it much. I figure what it is is it's probably my application being returned. So it sits on my desk at the office for three or four days, until I finally get curious enough to see what kind of a letter they sent me. I open it up and it says, Dear Mr. Walsh, it has come to our attention that you are preparing to be ordained as a Presbyterian minister. At the current time, we have extended the age for denominations who are willing to baptize children to the age of 40. Well, I'm like 37 at this point, 38, and I'm going to graduate so, you know, Glenn and the session, and all, they all got together and said, boy, we got to get him <laughs> ordained now. And they literally don't, ordained me an active, uh, ordained me in 1988. And uh, it, it, December of 89, I was on active duty. Wow. That quick. So uh, that's what happened. It was some sort of a, some 
clerical. I have no idea. To me, it's always been a miracle of God. That's How incredible. they found out sure. that I was going in, uh, it, it, to be a Presbyterian. You, you, maybe you can find out about that on the other side. You no, know, I, but I there are going to be a lot of stories that we that we see the connections on. Oh, my goodness, yes, yes, yes. Well, well, from that moment on, I hadn't been on active duty. My first assignment was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I went right literally six months out of the schoolhouse, chaplain schoolhouse, to the Panama invasion. Mm-hmm. And I participated in that. And then five months later, we all went to the Gulf War One. And I was out there in Saudi Arabia and Iraq for about eight months. Then I came back and did normal chaplain, pretty much peacetime operations, moving from post to post and taking care of people and whatever. And, of course, we had other things like Somalia happen and uh, Kosovo and what whatnot. And then, of course, 9-11. And then the world turned upside down, and mm. I went to Iraq two times. I went to Iraq from 2004 to 2006, and uh, yes, 2004 to actually December 2005, and then I took a year, and then I went right back and went from 2007 to about June of 2008. It was about a 15-month, 16-month tour, that one. So, Steve, you've, you've been in the military serving. You've been out of the military looking at it. You, you've been formed, in a way, as a person by your military experience. Then you became a chaplain. Then you went back in, and you've seen. So, so what, I'm, what I'm getting at, it, you, you have a lot of different perspectives about military life. So from the, from the beginning, from the training that somebody comes in and, and receives, they're, they're being molded as a military person. What are, what are the uh, challenges that they face at this early stage in their military career? And how can we pray for somebody that's a new trainee? Well, the big, the big problem is that um, they're young. Now, I'm talking about young enlisted men and women. Officers usually come in a different route after college or they go to a service academy or ROTC or something like that. They are usually a little older. But let's talk about your 18-, 19-year-old enlisted person. They come in straight off the streets, and they are transformed. Now, I'm talking about my Army. In the four years that I've been retired, the new Army is very different. You've all read the reports about what's going on with all the different issues and this and that. We don't have to go into that. But in the old Army, your head was shaved, you were given the same clothes as everybody else around you. There were no distinctive anythings. You were just one of the green machine. Well, what that is, it's an institutional transformation like prison. After a while, uh, prisoners all know what the prison language is. They all dress the same. They talk the same. And, of course, back in the days, people used to talk about the army as, you know, brainwashing everybody, you're being brainwashed. Well, you're not being brainwashed, you're being transformed almost in the way that a Christian is transformed the minute they raise their hand and volunteer to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just that these men and women, they volunteer to serve their country, to protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Mm-hmm. So, what happens, though, is they're very young, and they don't know how to control themselves. And for many of them, this is the first real job they've had. I mean, as a private, you're probably making about 2000 a month. That sure beats working at McDonald's for, you know, eight, seven, eight dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden they got money in their pockets, and there's a whole world of fleecers who live off post, tattoo parlors, and uh, all kinds of other nefarious uh, uh, businesses. People who sell them anything. Yeah. So you pray for them. Number one, they stay out of trouble. That they have the wisdom, you know. But God, in His infinite mercy, assigns a platoon sergeant <laughs> who survived all of that. Yeah. And his job, or her job, is to take these young ones under their wing and say, "You're not going out on Friday night, okay? At least you're not going to do what you think you're going to do." So, pray for those first line leaders, platoon sergeants, and leaders and squad leaders and people like that because they're having to take brand new young men and women many of them patriotic not all are some are living in the inner city and the military is a way to learn something it's an out it's It's an an out out. you Uh betcha sure i mean for heaven's sakes uh you've got uh, nimitz admiral nimitz the four-star admiral of the Navy during World War II comes from where? Fredericksburg, Texas. Sure. You would think he'd have been a land guy. You know, I'm going to join the Army. Oh, heck no. He wanted to get to the water as fast as he could. Yeah. And he did. So it, people come from all areas of the country, all walks of life. Some, I, I resented when one of our national leaders said, well, these kids, these people don't have any other choices. They do. People come into the military, it's not like, you know, this is the only thing they could have done. So they should be grateful to the great government that the government is paying them a salary. Hell or heck no. Every one of these kids had other options in their life. But for whatever reason, the Lord still loves America, and he's sending us strong young men and women who are willing to do one thing, and and people don't recognize that the biggest thing you do in the military is not combat. It's serving. It's when someone says, we're going to send you to Kodiak, Alaska for three years Mm -hmm. of your life because we need somebody to float around on a boat up there with a pair of binoculars in freezing cold weather and keep an eye out. Mm-hmm. For what, sir? I don't know. We have an idea. If you see one that looks like this, let us know, will you? Yeah. But but you don't even get to ask why, do you? Yeah. I mean, you just... It's, it's your you're obedient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're obedient as we should be obedient to Christ. Yeah. You are obedient. You do the job. You sit as a sentinel so many hours that men and women just just sit as sentinels. They are the eyes of the United States throughout the world. That's how they defend us. It's not always just pulling out a knife and chopping somebody's fingers off. It is being there where they're needed. My own son served in the Navy on a submarine. They would go out for months at a t- months at a time. He took me when he was in Hawaii. I was stationed with the 25th Infantry in Hawaii. He took me on a boat. I'm a small person, 
and I was walking with my shoulders squinched together trying to get down those halls. I thought to mm. myself, I could no sooner do not because I'm necessarily claustrophobic, but because the living conditions are absolutely brutal on those things. And they'll go out there month in and month out and serve the nation. Well, Steve, just you, you can't see, I suppose, since we're in a radio station, but we do have a telephone book for Steve to sit on. <laughs> <laughs> How tall are you, Steve? I'm five foot four. So five feet four, <laughs> and he is full of uh, full of life. I can tell you for sure. So. Uh, Height restrictions uh, are really something that can be be overcome. In my day, in yeah. my day, uh, you couldn't become a military police officer. You couldn't mm-hmm. be a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even to this day, you cannot guard the tomb of the unknown soldier, which I think is ridiculous. Uh, even because, why would a height requirement dictate that you cannot honor those who have fallen who are yet to be oh, named? Sure. I mean, yeah. it's crazy, but we get off topic. But yeah. if you want to pray for something for these young men and women, pray for patience. Pray for patience for them because they spend months and months alone sitting on duty. Even in Iraq, uh, that was the hardest part for, I think, most of those young men and women is that this generation isn't used to being alone with themselves. Mm-hmm. They've got a iPad or iPod or i this or i that, and they're constantly entertained, constantly. Sure. Well, you take them out of that environment, and you send them to Afghanistan or Iraq for a year, and they are going out of their mind because they don't know how to, to be with themselves. What other pressures um, and, and challenges do troops face when they're on long deployments? Uh, I, boredom is the is is the big one, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who go outside the wire, which would be outside of the forward operating base or FOB, uh, there is the same tension that um, bomber pilots flying over Germany in World War II had. The clenched for an hour or two or three while they're in a convoy, where they're just clenched, waiting for an explosion like a bomber pilot would be just clenched waiting for shrapnel to hit the airplane or something. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, You do that every day for a year. And you t- it took, I know myself, I went outside the wire over 300 times in 27 months. And it took me, it's probably, I'm probably still trying to unwind, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. you know. It's not any of these flashback things. It is the fact that you're as wound up as tight as a spring. Mm-hmm. Steve, the timing of, of our being able to share this show on the radio, and of course on the podcast will be out there for months or years, hopefully, uh, is it's time coming in with uh, Memorial Day, approximately. And uh, that's a time where we remember those uh, who lost their lives uh, it's also perhaps a time we remember those who've lost part of their body or their energy, their years, whatever. And um, and perhaps we're remembering veterans who've who've had something that they've sacrificed that that uh, they can't get back. Uh, you were chaplain for to hundreds or thousands, tens of thousands of young men and women who were. Losing things, losing, had losses, experiences, and losses in family relationships, and and um, and sometimes they're 
in hospitals and loss of life. Can you tell us some about that and what we can pray for? What are some of the prayer needs and and ways to focus our prayers for for those in the military and and those veterans who've uh, who've given great sacrifices? Well, you know, uh, without offering any Christian cliches, the first thing would be to pray that they find the Lord. And the reason I say that is because, as I mentioned uh, a little earlier, uh, a reintegration back into civilian society is virtually impossible for those of us who have served uh, a career, a full career. You come into the military for f- three or four years and go out. It's a little easier, although you still have guys today that are my age that have Semper Fi bumper sticker on their car, and they served in Vietnam for a couple of years, and they are very, very proud of that and have never forgotten that. So it does markedly transform you. But for guys and gals that have had uh, serious injury or even emotional injury, um, it, it, it's, it's almost condescending for them to hear things like, well, thank you for your service. Because they're sitting there, many of them thinking like, well, if it was that important, how come you didn't come over and lose one of your legs? Okay? Mm-hmm. And so there can be a bitterness that many of these men and women begin to feel about their service. Now, I'm not saying not to thank people. That's not my point. My point is is that it's, it's almost like the Scripture verse where Jesus says to us, you know, or rather where we're told, you know, what good does it do to say you're going to pray for somebody and you don't do anything? Well, the question here is, okay, what good is it to say, hey, thanks for your service? Okay, fine. You want to talk to me? You want to yeah. hear my story? You want to sit down with me? I mean, mm-hmm. what what do you want? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want anything. I just want to feel better about myself. Yeah. So there's a bitterness that a lot of troops feel when they come back into the military. It's not like in my day. The first time I came out of the airport after my basic training to Fort Lewis, I went up to Seattle Airport, and literally I was being called names, baby killer, this and that. And my gosh, I wasn't even going to go to Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. Different world. Happy for it. But the reintegration of these troops emotionally and physically is, is difficult, as well as just institutionally. They come mm-hmm. to work, they sit there, and then Jack's always late, Sally's always got a problem, Harry forgot to do this or that, and they're sitting here and going, how in the heck did this business stay alive for these many years? Yeah. Well, another aspect of that is the families. So the, the Memorial Day is a time that families are remembering those they've lost. Uh, you, you were with families when they were burying the dead. Tell us about prayer and, and, and our, how, yeah, we, that, how the body of Christ can, can be can, and, and Thinking, thinking about families, the, the cost to the family of the deployment, because the, the, the spouse left behind is effectively a single parent during that period. Well, I'll tell you. Um, This is not a deflection. But for those of us who were downrange, we didn't have to deal with the families. Those in the rear had to deal with the families. My wife, being the great saint that she is, was one of them. When I was the division chaplain for the 1st Cavalry Division, she was the division chaplain's wife to all of the other chaplain's wives. 
and you think the Presbyterian women are a group, let me tell you, military wives are a group to be reckoned with. And when one of their husbands is killed, I'm telling you what, every woman on the post falls in and falls behind mm-hmm. that sister. Okay. Now, had, have I dealt with families? Of course. Uh, I wasn't downrange all of my career. Okay. Um, really, the church is, is the best hope for many of those families because they require constant, long-term nurturing to be able to even begin to heal because you have to remember they are tight as i mentioned in last segment these families they go everywhere together and when you lose dad or if you lose mom it's not just dad is gone it's one third of our family is dead yeah what do we do now? Because that was a third of how we thought. It was a third of how we behaved as a family or a fourth or however big the family was. And you also have these young, I call them girls, uh, 22, 23 years old with a child whose husband has just been killed as a gunner in a mm-hmm. Humvee somewhere. What does she do? How does she, yeah, how you does know, she, cope? How does she yeah. cope with that? Well, the military has a lot of um, a lot of um, support structures, obviously, because it's been in this business for l- many years. But if you ever saw that movie, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, with Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. you'll recall that up until Vietnam, we really didn't have a big support structure. It was Mel Gibson's wife, the battalion commander's wife, yeah. who was out there making uh, notification. She was making the notification. She was there with the mothers yeah. after, or uh, wives after they lost right. their families. Yeah, that was that was very vivid in that movie. Well, in trying to to, to wrap this up, uh, some of the things that that have come up, we want to pray for for young soldiers coming in for their transformation for what goes on there that they would become whole people and learn to work within the military system we want to pray for boredom because you've got people on long deployments that are doing things that really aren't very exciting but they're essential exactly yeah we want to pray for patience during that time uh, we want to pray for the people who've been on combat mission, missions for the time that they're on them. And you use the term clenched, a, a tightness, a tightness in your gut, knowing that you could you could be hit any time. And that might lead to death or might lead to losing a limb, but it's something that you're aware of. Uh, we, want to, we want to be kind and we want to pray for veterans that we meet because of the potential bitterness that they feel, that they weren't welcome back as you weren't welcome back or they lost a leg or whatever it may be. So we want to pray about their attitude and about how people treat them and what they seem. We want to pray for their reintegration both emotionally and physically, but also that they can work in new institutional mm-hmm. settings, that the values that they learn they can bring in with them. Well, you know, uh, what I've said in the past is instead of saying thank you for your service, a lot of times I'll say, I, I just want to thank you personally for taking the hit for me. Yeah. So that's another level. Right. You're saying thank you, exactly. but you're really getting into what it, what right. it means to you're, you. You're thanking him. It is intercessory suffering. He did it or she did it on my behalf. Yeah. Amen. And then we want to pray for those particular, the, the 
spouses and families left behind because oh, yeah. that's broken. In military terms, that's broken their unit. Totally. Okay? Totally. In emotional and physical and hurtful terms, exactly. it's family. Exactly. So, but they function in a cohesive way. Nicely put. Nicely put. Thank so, you, Larry. Yeah. So, Steve, would you say a prayer then for, for I will. Uh, I will. Okay. I invite everyone to join with us. Our Most Heavenly Father, you have heard this discussion. You have lived this discussion with your people out there throughout the world, on land and the sea and the air, as well as here at home with the families who wait, the extended families, the immediate families. Lord, we lift each and every one of these individuals up, especially on this most relevant weekend where we face all of those who have sacrificed their lives on behalf of our great nation. We ask to this day that each and every one of those families who still survives without that loved one be given the comfort that only you can bring. We ask that those who are serving now be given that patience, that fortitude, that steadfast honor that allows them to do that repeatedly, sometimes mundane duty, over and over and over for years at a time, knowing that every time they show up, they are standing as a wall between us and our enemies, even if it is simply to serve as an early warning sentinel. Lord, we pray for those families who even now Young wives, children um, are suffering. We pray for those who have lost their limbs, their faces, burns, uh, implosions, traumatic brain injury, uh, and all of the other horrible effects of war. We ask, Father, that you hear this prayer through the obedient heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit may hear it, and make it so. Amen. Thank you, Steve Walsh, uh, pastor at First Presbyterian Church, and Rick Lane, chair of the uh, San Antonio First Presbyterian Church Prayer Committee, uh, prayer ministry for being with us today. Uh, We do pray and hope that you will join us in prayer for military personnel. This is Hill Country Institute Live. Thank you for being with us.